What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Never Made Varsity, the virtual reality experience. My name is Spider Colbs. You can find me on Twitter at Colby Complains. Hello again, everybody. It's Maverick. You can find me on social media at heartbreak underscore underscore kid. Just the two of us this week. Yeah. We can make it if we try. A tandem. Uh, David is still in Europe, and uh, Aaron is the one whose name I forgot is, <laughs> is in Acting Asia. adult-like. Yes. In Israel. They, so it's just the two of us. And we're gonna hold it down. And it's gonna be a great show. We're gonna we're gonna rally around the two of us, and we're gonna have a good podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how was your week? So far, so good. A little bit better than weeks past, but really getting to the summer months in terms of job is just getting through that. We've had a lot of people visiting in the past week, so it was all hands on deck. I had to work July fourth, uh, so I had to wait till after I finished work to get my hamburgers and hot dogs and such but i get a holiday out of it that's the good part true so when uh, how it works when i do work a holiday i get a holiday so that's even better than getting time and a half because you're getting fully paid for the day then you get another fully paid day and you can go somewhere where it's not as crowded as it would be on the fourth yep so how was your july 4th you do anything Uh, special it was good. I spent my time uh, with Carlos' family in the early afternoon, and then we went to see uh, Spider-Man Far From Home, which we will talk about at some point. I wanted to talk about it today, but I'm sleepy, <laughs> so I'm gonna. I'm probably going to wait and talk about it with somebody, because, Mav, you haven't seen it yet. I did not get a chance to see it. It's just been a little bit hectic of a weekend. So I'm going to, yeah, we're going to hold off on Far From Home. We might do a full episode on it. Who knows? We will see. But yeah, that's, my fourth was chill. Friday was chill. Um, Saturday was chill. Now we're, now I get to talk to my friend Maverick. About the hey, sporting world and the speaking content. Of sp- speaking of sports, Kennedy Meeks is on the floor for the Hornets right now. That's oh, I forgot. Cool. Let me turn to that real quick. I'm real. Is it on SportsCenter? I knew it's they on, were playing. Um, ESPN two. But speaking of the NBA, let's jump into all the free agency news. So, like we said last week, we did the very smart thing of recording our podcast uh, hours before <laughs> the free agency deadline, which meant that all of our takes were out of date literally before I had a chance to edit. Uh, which is why I added my little addendum during the episode. But now we can like actually talk about it, except instead of me just you know saying what happened. At the same time, I don't know if we could have even fathomed what was about to occur just hours later. Because Literally hours later. Woj just went on an absolute rampage with just the reports. B-52s. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, in the first night alone, there was over $2 billion in contracts doled out to players. Wild, absolutely wild, just rolling thunder of Woj bombs. So the biggest one that I mentioned last week that we didn't get to talk about, KD and Kyrie to the Knicks, or not the Knicks. No, the other New York team. The Knicks (laughs) are dead. (laughs) They're going to the Nets, and I think that's a good move for the Nets. So KD tore his Achilles, and that's a pretty intense rehab process. 
But he will be back in about a year. And they also uh, got Kyrie Irving, who is leaving Boston. Maverick, how do you feel about the Nets offseason so far? I mean, I definitely think that probably is the big move, uh, other than one of the offseason. Uh, you know, getting Kevin Durant to, to truly leave Golden State, pulling him, putting him back in the, or for I guess for the first time, putting him in the Eastern Conference. Kyrie moving on from Boston. Uh, also forgetting they're bringing in DeAndre Jordan as well. Mm-hmm. Rim running center for them. And people forget, too, that this, this Nets team without these players was a playoff team. Uh, that was led by D'Angelo Russell. We'll get to him in a second. But you have Karis LeVert that had came back from injury earlier on in the year. Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, guys, uh, glue guys like Theo Pinson on the two-way deal. Things like that. So Jared Allen of sorts. So there's a lot of pieces that were already on this team on pretty low deals that allowed these uh, big fish to come. And so even with, though Kevin Durant's going to be out for most all of this season, the Nets are still most likely a playoff team, and they can still challenge in the East. I feel like I've tricked everyone who listens to this podcast into thinking I know anything about the NBA. Uh, because I really, like, I am more of, like, an X's and O's person. I have no idea on how any of these contracts work. So I'm going to be leaning heavily. I normally get to lead, lean on David and Maverick. Uh, but David's not here, so it's going to be a lot of Maverick explaining to me how contracts work. I'm the color commentary for this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, but I think it's a good pickup. Like, the the Nets have a good franchise. Like, they, they know what they're doing. Like, it, they've shown to me, at least in the past couple years, that they know what they are doing as far as putting players where they need to be to be successful. So I think picking up superstar caliber players is only going to help them. Absolutely. I mean, and I mean the bigger story of even though that it's the Nets that you know got this big deal, um, it's the fact that you know for months now James Dolan in the Knicks front office was saying that you know they were going to be the team that get these caliber players to come to the mecca, to Madison Square Garden, to lead the Knicks back to glory for the first time in decades. It feels like now, and then only for them to go to the team a subway ride down <laughs> in the same state. Uh, and so I, and everybody's talking about in the week that was what dominated a lot of the, the media cycle for sports is that, you know, I think Brooklyn has now become the, the basketball team of New York. And it's an utter collapse, it seems like, for the Knicks. They got some deals, but not to the caliber of what they were saying they were going to get. No, even in, like, January, we were thinking, like, oh, so there is, like, a very real possibility that we're going to have Kyrie, Katie, and Zion in uh, for the Knicks. And that just, that did not happen. That's... That turned into Julius Randle. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, Taj Gibson. Um, you do get Tar Heel, um, Reggie Bullock. And then Wayne Ellington is also uh, going to be playing for the team, another Tar Heel. Right. But not Kevin Durant, not Kyrie Irving, you know, not these, these A-list basketball players. They're, it's going to be a decent team, and I think they're, believe it or not, they're going to be a better team than last year. No, that, Julius, that Julius Randall, be very hard. <laughs> yeah, Julius Randle is a very productive player. Um, 
and it's kind of funny. Uh, I don't remember who exactly. It was either Enos Cantor or someone else said that Zion Williamson is Julius Randle with hops. <laughs> so I just, I think they had to rub their glasses a little bit, and I think they picked the wrong Zion. I, I mean, but like Julius Randle is like, if you're a rookie in the league and you're already like Julius Randle, like that's not that's not an insult. Like that's a pretty good thing to be at 19 years old, but. We we can circle back to the Knicks in a bit. Let's talk about the other big move that came, which is Kawhi uh, committing to the Clippers and then Paul George uh, getting the trade from Oklahoma City from Oklahoma City to L.A. Now, and it took uh, Kawhi took his precious time getting this announced. I mean, uh, someone was joking like he took it very seriously, the tampering rules, and didn't do it until even midnight on the first before he started considering anything. But that was probably not true. But, you know, it w- he finally announced at 2 a.m. Uh, on July 6th, I was up finishing Stranger Things, <laughs> finishing my binge, and I just happened to pull up my phone, pull it out, and I see the the tweet at 2 o'clock in the morning from Woj saying, uh, Kawhi Leonard has informed the runner-up teams of his intention to sign with the Clippers. And I lost my mind. And like Twitter absolutely woke up. I don't know what exactly happened, but it's like was, everybody found out. I was so confused because I saw it. At, I know you messaged a group me at like 2 a.m., but I was dead asleep. And I woke up at like 4 a.m. And my timeline was in shambles because apparently California was about to fall off the face of the United of the continent <laughs> from the earthquake. And then Kawhi was going to L.A. and it was just it was just a mess. <laughs> my entire timeline was in shambles. And so Kawhi Leonard ultimately goes to probably the team among the Lakers, Raptors and Clippers that he was least expected to, believe it or not. Now, I would say a year ago, the Clippers you know, had a lot of momentum, but as the year went on and as the Toronto Raptors, you know, found the success, won the championship this year, people were like, well, that could be very likely if he could stay with the Raptors and just be there. Cause he doesn't seem like the kind of person that he's wanting to make a super team or he just wants to be his own player. Uh, and then the Lakers, for whatever reason, got a lot of steam as well after the Anthony Davis trade. Uh, but then it do, again, it does come out and confirm that you know Kawhi didn't want to feel like a villain, kind of like how KD was going to the Warriors, teaming up with LeBron and AD. So he kind of created his own team. But ironically, he also did want someone to come with him as well, and that was Paul George. And so he basically told the Clippers, "Get Paul George, and I'm coming." And they did. So, <laughs> and what a deal that set up. I mean probably the most draft picks ever involved in the trade deal i think ever yeah the um they aren't going to be drafting um in the next decade probably not <laughs> i want to see if i can find the exact details of the trade but as far as the clippers i mean you you i i am trying i think i mentioned this on the podcast i try not to think of things as like winning and losing trades because i think at the end of the day both sides are going to get what they wanted or else they won't do the trade right so i think that you know the clippers are a title contender now like they have what you need to start competing not that they were like 
scrubs before, which is kind of the scary part, is that they have they have something to work with there. I think that the Clippers have a very real chance of winning the West. Oh, and uh, I mean, I say so as well, because that team defensively, you forget they also re-signed Patrick Beverly. They have Montrez Harrell. Uh, you have Lou Williams. I mean, that is an absolute clamp on defense. You're bringing in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Uh, Paul George, one, I, one of the – it's a really good defender in this league. So mm-hmm. – and it's going to make things fun in L.A. What a rivalry that's going to become between the Clippers and the Lakers. Put it on Christmas. That's going to be fun. And it, it's an easy venue to schedule. Yeah. Yeah, somebody said you put it on Christmas and then you don't have to take away – you don't have to, like, take any families away from their homes because they'll all just be there. So it, it's going to be a lot of fun. It will be fun. So all of that leaves uh, Russell Westbrook <laughs> in Oklahoma City by himself again. Yep. No, but did get uh, several first-round picks. They got Shea Gildress Alexander as well as Danilo Gallinari. Who's so good? Do, do have SGA some pieces. Is good. Yeah, but believe it or not, they are still above the tax line even after trading Paul George's contract, which is absolutely crazy. So it's not like they're going to be able to get any players now, and it seems a lot like they're just ready to break everything down and rebuild at this point. Which is why they're entertaining the possibility of a Russell Westbrook trade. And, you know, I think it's warranted. I mean, Russell Westbrook has been very loyal to this team. You know, from an outside perspective, has seemed to have gotten slighted in a lot of ways. You think about the all the fiasco with Kevin Durant. Um, you have all the stuff with James Hardingley in the team, that young core that was supposed to be, that was already a super team as it was, and then could never find success. And you know, you start introducing the conversations. Is it uh, the players around Russell or is it perhaps Russell himself that's driving people away? And there was more and more reports that like Paul George was becoming disgruntled with Russell and the team as a whole. And that's kind of what helped push him away too. And I mean, it's definitely becomes at least a valid question to ask at this point. Cause if who wants to play with Russell, I don't know. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think Russ has an unfair reputation? I think Do you he, think I, his reputation in the league is unfair. I think, like Kevin Durant, I think he can, he can be very misunderstood at times. I, I'm not going. I'm not willing to say that it's all his fault. If that answers the question, I. But he think, has a he has a personality, and you know, a charisma when it comes to playing the game of basketball that. I don't know if it gels with everybody in today's league. And so I think it, it's to the wrong people that drives them away. I think that... So, like, I am, I will be the first one to, like, screen... Like, as far as just, like, a pure basketball perspective, I will be on the front lines of screaming efficiency stats over counting stats. <laughs> um, which... You know, I do think that at times Russell Westbrook is a bit inefficient in his game. But, like, what team doesn't want a walking triple-double? Like, I feel like yeah. if you get him to rein in his shot selection, which I think 
it's the problem is that no one, at least no one on his teams or nobody in the front offices or on the bench wants or can get him to rein in some of the wildness of Russell Westbrook. Oh, here, let me put it this way and please bear, bear with me. He is like an unproblematic Jameis Winston, but better. I think that he has all of the intangibles, but the way that Russell Westbrook is bad makes it hard to win consistently. I yeah, because I think the shortcomings he, he relied on too much, and so he, he yeah. does turn to hero ball a lot, and it, it turns to hero ball at the times where it doesn't. I, I think the shortcomings of his game makes it hard to win consistently. Consistently, yeah. But so one thing that I've seen is how about we send Russell Westbrook to the Heat with Jimmy Butler and Pat Riley down there who might tell him to calm down sometimes when he gets in that mode. What do you think about that? Well, I hate the Heat, so I wouldn't <laughs> want them to be successful in any capacity. Getting Jimmy Butler is enough. Um so I'm not I wouldn't be on board with that. And like I said, I feel like he 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 want to fight. Uh, he would want to fight every day in Miami, fighting Jimmy in practice. Yeah, but I, they're both going to get the third bencher squads and fight each other. I feel like it would be like the sort of thing where they like come to blows during practice, and then like for the rest of the year they're like solid and they are like inseparable. I feel like it would be one of those types of things. So, I mean, there is rumblings that Miami is also uh, putting in play where. Um, especially because there's the reports early about Chris Paul being disgruntled with James Harden, like losing trust. I mean, you could do a flop, put uh, CP3 on the Thunder, trade uh, Westbrook to the Rockets, and pair him back with James Harden, who he does have an established relationship and connection to. And I don't think things necessarily ended bad with them either. So, I mean, there's always an option with that, but there's there'd have to be several other pieces moved to do that because the cap is not there at the moment. I, I'm trying to f- think how, like, 2019-20, James Harden meshes with a Russell Westbrook. I feel like James Harden is, I feel like the way that he's been able to play and, like, the mode that he's locked himself in in Houston is a much different player than he was in Oklahoma City. Like, he is or at least the way that they play offense in Oklahoma City is a lot of roll the ball with James Harden and everybody get out the way. And I'm not sure <laughs> how Russell Westbrook will react to that. And look, D'Antoni's a great coach. So he might find he might switch things up in a way to to make that work. But the way they're playing offense right now, I'm not sure <laughs> how that so, would mesh. That's also somewhat of a point where, you know, Russ is very ball dominant. So is James Harden. And mm-hmm. so it's hard to win when you have two extremely ball dominant people because they're going to start clashing with each other. And so that's sort of the crux. It is where naturally you want to have multiple stars on the team. Um, yet when it's this extreme of like being needing to be able to control the ball and control the movement, that it actually is more of a hindrance uh, than a help. Can I so, just like go total sidebar? So we're, I think we're both watching this um, summer league game right now. Yeah. 
I love how relaxed all the coaches look right now. Like Becky Hammond is straight up wearing like a oh, hoodie white. and some sweatpants right now. That's cool. <laughs> and, like everyone's wearing shorts. It is just like the most chill thing. <laughs> See, this is what Russell Westbrook should be like. Just chill. Just chill. Just and put on your Becky Hammond um, hoodie and just c- calm down for a bit. No, but there there is a lot of deals as well. So I mean. We could very well see him get traded. Uh, there's been a lot of sign and trades this time around with other kind of like smaller name people. But um, the whole entire landscape of the NBA is is changing. I, I would say this is probably one of the most um, eventful free agencies in recent memory in terms of just the sheer amount of talent going places. The the landscape changing. We didn't mention D'Angelo Russell with mm-hmm. uh, the uh, getting Kevin Durant. Uh, from the Nets, uh, they are signing, training D'Angelo Russell to the Warriors, pairing him up with Steph and Clay and Draymond. So the Warriors are still going to be there uh, in contention. Um, you have a player like Malcolm Brogdon, who is a very strong role player that was marred by injury with Milwaukee, getting signed uh, traded to Indiana. Indiana is going to be another defensively uh, sound Danny team, putting Malcolm Brogdon Lakers. and Oladipo together. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing a, a whole bunch of tandems now. It's not necessarily super teams. It's tandems. You have AD and LeBron. You, I mean, it's still, even though it's DeAndre Wrestler now, it's still Steph and Clay. You have uh, Kyrie and KD. You have Giannis and Chris Middleton. Um, like all these different players, like tandems. Let's you, talk in about, Dallas, you have KP and Luka. Let's talk about parody for a second. Because parody, P-A-R-I-T-Y. Uh, since you wanted to bring it up, and that's kind of where we're going. So in the past, I've kind of, I've said, I think I've said on this podcast, parody is overrated. Because <laughs> to me, parody just means that all the good players are so spread out that nobody's actually good. It's just a bunch of okay teams. But now in the NBA, there's so much talent and they're all all the talent is in different places. Like this is the first time I see parody and like there are legitimate title contenders everywhere. And it's not because everyone's mediocre. Like there are good teams in the East and the West that can definitely win championships. Yeah. So especially just with the like you were saying that just the sheer amount of talent that is in NBA now. I mean, there's just because of what the makeup is starting to look like for these teams. There's easily, I would say, eight to ten teams that are in solid contention. Whereas, you know, for the last three or four years or so, we've had maybe three, two or three, yeah. that you you thought, yep, they're getting there. And one of them was always the Warriors. So it kind of put everything else in the West uh, at least some level below. And it was whoever could get out of the East. Well, it was the Warriors, LeBron in the East, and then like maybe a couple teams that can sneak up on the Warriors, and that was it. And it's it's just not bad anymore, and so, which is good. This I, is great. <laughs> yeah. So this is the kind of parody I think we were really hoping to see, where again it's not super teams, but there's so much talent on these teams. Because, like I said, we were talking about it earlier. Look at the Nets; they already have a solid core of players, and then you add Kyrie, KD, and DeAndre Jordan to them. You have the Lakers; you have probably two of the top five players in LeBron and AD. With there, they are developing a good minute role players. You got Danny green. Now I'm um, bringing back uh, Rajon Rondo. You got Deandre or DeMarcus cousins to come join the team. Now, like 
just all set up solid squads. And I think next year could be very fun. So you want to talk about who's messing up the most? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, I think the Knicks are the biggest loser of this free agency. Um, you know, this was their chance. Everything was lined up. They had the cap space. They have a core themselves. Uh, it was a prime free agency season with several max players being able to go there, and then they come up short. And also, they were talking a big game, too, to come up short, and then for the team across the river to get the players that they're going after. So I would say they're the ones. I mean, I know uh, you and David are the Hornets fans in this podcast. I think I am there is the some, brotherhood um, without banners. I yeah, do not have a team. <laughs> there, there was some frustration in Charlotte mainly losing Kimba, not refusing to give him a max deal and then sending him to Boston, only to sign Boston's backup guard, Terry Rozier, to a three-year $58 million deal. Um, believe it or not, $58 million is the cumulative total that Kimba earned in his all of his time in Charlotte. <laughs> and they're paying the backup guard of the Celtics that. Um, so but my, still my remaining thing, hopeful. Yeah, my thing with the Hornets is the mismanagement started so many years ago with so many hangups. It's like that has just trickled. Like if you want to talk about trickle down economics, that's trickle down economics where you mess up so bad that it just, it hamstrings your team for like legitimately half a decade where there's like 75% of the revenue is going to Michael Kidd, Gilchrist, Marvin Williams, Tar Heel, uh, Bismack Biombo, now Terry Rozier, and Nick Batum, and Nick Batum. That was probably what started it all. That Nick that Batum contract, started it all because yeah. it was that first year of the raised salary cap. So mm-hmm. it was just a a poor speculation of the market. That, Which that, I wonder if the NF if the uh, NBPA could do it again. I I wonder if they would if they would rethink how they did that. Because we would eventually get to the point where, you know, players would be making what they did today. It wouldn't have happened this drastically, and the NBA would look a lot different. So, yeah. I mean, but I think one thing to mention, too, like, I still would put the Knicks above the Hornets, even though they lost their star, because it might, if someone would consider that more of a thing to lose a star you already had than to not get anyone at all. But at least I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of expectation on the Hornets either, whereas New York is the one of the biggest, if not the biggest market in basketball, and they failed. No, the Hornets are stuck between 35 and 41 wins every year, and they're, they're going to so, say The mediocrity for- treadmill, in the words of Mark Cuban. And so speaking of Mark Cuban and the city of Dallas, I think, unfortunately, Dallas is another team that disappointed this offseason. I might be biased towards that. Um, but quite honestly, I'm, I'm just used to it. And it all started back in the summer of 2011, right after mm-hmm. we finished our championship run. Uh, we decided to break down our championship team that took down the big three in Miami in order to go after marquee free agents and to have cap flexibility to go after names like Dwight Howard and Darren Williams. Didn't get them. And lost our championship team because of it. And then it just started this big spiral. Somewhat a situation where, you know, we're giving long-term contracts to players that aren't really worth it because we have to spend the money. 
And, you know, finally we sort of get out of the slump. We draft a great player like Luka Doncic. We make a nice trade for Chris Stapps, Porzingis, now have a tandem of our own. But I don't know what it is. Dallas is just horrible at times at free agency, and I don't know why. And it's been discussed several times. You know, Dallas is a relatively large market in the NBA. It's Texas. They're in a fair-weather city. They're in a state with no income tax. They have one of the most player-friendly owners in the league. And then just retired, one of the most beloved stars who also cites the fact of how player-friendly the program is and someone who proves that Dallas is good about retaining players once they are on the team, but there's just something about drawing players away from their teams to come to Dallas that we just can't do. We're good at trades, too. You know, trades is what set up our championship team back in 2011, but for whatever reason, free agency is just not the way for us. Well, we and, will see. And we have we had cap space to do it, too, sorry. Um, like, we still have $23 million in cap space, uh, and that was the whole thing where we were supposed to get more players to surround Luca and Chris Stapps with. And then we have currently signed two players that are more role players. We get Seth Curry returning to Dallas, and then we did get Boban Marjanovic. Not the players that we were anticipating with the cap space that we had in mind. Because we had the most of the non-Kawhi Leonard suitor teams and couldn't do anything with it. Yeah. So, we will see how all of this unfolds. I'm sure there's more things to come down the pipe. Probably not as big as this. But that's what free agency is looking looking like so far. Shall we talk about the World Cup? Yeah. We did it. Good times. <laughs> we went two nothing against the Netherlands uh, to win our fourth star on our jerseys. Uh, Megan Rapino wins the Golden Boot. It's just it was a uh, all around dominance from the U.S. side of this tournament. Yeah, I mean, you start off with the thirteen goal win against Thailand in the group stage. Um, we never were down, if I'm not mistaken, in the entire tournament. Nope. We we did not trail in the entire tournament. Um, and dominant both offensively and defensively, you know, holding a, a very solid Netherlands team that was somewhat of a Cinderella for this World Cup, uh, holding them scoreless. Um, I mean, it was it, it, I, nothing but kudos to this team. It's just absolutely stacked. You have Carly Lloyd, who's one of the greatest women's national team players of all time, not starting and being able to come off the bench. Like we're basically it was like the Warriors basically of World Cup soccer. I am not looking at the stat line right now, but we have like the joke like the best defense is more offense. And like we legitimately held the ball for so long in this tournament. Like I would love to see like what our possession stats were this tournament because there was just we the other team didn't see the ball much in the championship game we held the ball 53 percent of the time i mean that's it's that one of those kind of sports and also those who that control the field also control the game so not only did we win time of possession but we were it was all in the attacking third yes it was all on on the attack and um 
I mean, it was just incredible play. I mean, we set the record for the most goals in World Cup history across the tournament. We did set the record for the most goals in a single game. Um, I mean, there, there's really not much else to say. I mean, we just we played fantastic, you know, with all the pressure, with everything outside of the game on the team. They still pull out the victory and make somewhat more of an even more emphatic statement, you know, that they are here and they are here to stay. And women's soccer is something to now be respected. There was, like, there were, they won by 13 goals. They celebrated too much, and every all their detractors said, maybe you should wait until you win the tournament before you act up. And they said, okay. <laughs> they won the World Cup. Like What a flex. <laughs> It was, I don't know. It was really fun to watch. This whole tournament was fun to watch. Honestly, like the Netherlands, this Netherlands team uh, was not supposed to go this far. A lot of people were thinking like before the, the field was set and before they seeded everything that we were going to be looking at uh, France in the final. Unfortunately, we had to play France early in the tournament. But Netherlands, when they expanded the field of this tournament, that's how they got in. And once they got in, everyone started looking at them like this team has a chance. Um, led by a fellow Tar Heel. And Coach Beekman. So we should have known. I was on the 1989 National Championship team under Coach Dorrance. And did you, did you catch the name drop? They even dro- name dropped Coach Dorrance on the broadcast. Uh, so we should have known that they were going to be dominant just from that. But... Either way, uh, this Neverland's team was good. They were very good. Uh, speaking, uh, to continue talking about UNC women's soccer, uh, 28 out of the 84 World Cup championship players from the U.S. went to Carolina. A whopping one-third of the players from, uh, from Carolina's program alone. That's from uh, Brian Ives of ESPN. Like, what a stat. And before the show, we were talking about how, like, breakout stars from this tournament, Rose Lavelle was just so fun to watch. Like, the entire the entire tournament, she was just the most fun, just snatching ankles <laughs> left and right. Like, her play is so fluid. It's just, it was a good time um, to watch her. And she's only 24, so I, I, I definitely think she's probably our next up-and-coming star. I remember when it was Alex Morgan two World mm-hmm. Cups ago. Um, I mean, she's pro- I think she's probably got at least one more left at in least. her. Yeah. Um, uh, and, I mean, so so many other players that are still going to be on this roster four years from now. So I, I we're fine, and we're in pretty good shape going forward. And we're going to keep winning, just keep gra- grabbing those Tar Heels, throwing but, them on the squad. And even the non-Tar Heel players as well. We got to show love to them too. I mean, you have Megan Rapino who remember, I, I believe many people forget that she tore her ACL in the Olympics two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then to come back and have, you know, such an incredible world cup performance, win the golden boot, um, and scored in this world cup final off of the PK. Uh, she had one of the most iconic poses of the tournament and probably will be one of the most iconic poses in world cup history. Like with Brandy Chastain, also Alex Morgan's uh, T sip. <laughs> I mean, there was there was it was a lot of fun. It was fun. 
Yeah. I don't I soccer it takes a lot for me to consider soccer fun. But I don't know what it is. <laughs> when I watch the women's team play soccer, it's fun to me. Um and then the men are gonna embarrass us tonight when they lose inevitably lose to Mexico. But tonight's the gold cup, right? Versus yeah. Mexico mm-hmm. at in like Chicago. Hey, I mean Hopefully they win. I'll have it on. I I am not I am not optimistic about anything with our with our men's team. Uh we'll see how they do. Yeah. El Tree is nothing uh to to mess with. Mexicans no. national team. Shall we talk Stranger Things? Sure, let's get to some content. So I finished this season uh like an hour ago. Uh, like right before we uh right before i texted maverick saying i was ready what did you uh what do you want to do with spoilers it's it's really up to you i'm gonna time code it anyway if people want to want to skip over or we could do like our normal sort of thing you want to just do a non-review and then uh do more of a spoiler thing recap and everything I don't want to hamstring myself. Hey, listen, people listening. Uh, I'll put a time code in the description, and that's where you can jump to to um, get around all of this. So go uh, watch it first, then click yeah. on this timestamp. Go watch it, um, delete it, re-download it, and leave a five-star review for both times. And we'll read it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, this is starting... Now, so not you can do as spoilery or not spoilery as you like, but what did you think of the season? I also binged it, so I don't know what it is. And it started with the first season. I think Stranger Things is probably the easiest show for me to binge of all the shows I've ever started. I don't know what it is. It's just compelling stuff, and you get invested into it. So, I mean, I, I don't think the third season disappoints, and it, it's just as good as all of the other seasons. Yeah, I think, like, last season, it's somewhat of a slow burner. Yeah, more development. We're, we're trying to, you know, it's been, what, two years since the previous season? So they're trying to half, introduce yeah. the, the storylines for this upcoming season. It took a moment to do that. Um, it was a lot of things, too. It, while it did have somewhat of a slow burn in terms of the overall plot, um, it did feel like things on you know the micro level were kind of going pretty quickly and all this stuff trying to just make sense of it um, all at once. Like here, this is happening, this is happening, and this is happening, but it's all under the umbrella plot. But I mean, again, the what's such a good thing about this show is their ability to develop the characters. Now, I am invested in all the characters, uh, like Mike, Dustin, Eleven everybody in the in the, the group and so it, they all still have something more that they're adding on to their character with every season like dustin now america's darling senior <laughs> to Susie poo to Susie poo i forget that like literally all of these children can sing like yeah. all of them like gatton was um gavrash uh, yep. From Les Mis on Broadway, uh, Sadie, who plays Max, she was Annie on Broadway. Uh, Caleb McLaughlin, who plays, um, oh, why am I forgetting his name? Uh, the black one. Uh, he he, um, he was on uh, BET's uh, New Edition story. Like they can all 
they all are singers, and it's great. I love it. Uh, as far as what I thought of the season, I liked it a lot. I did not mind uh, the kind of slow burn. I like being reintroduced to the world since, you know, like you said, it has been a while. Um, just being able to go back into it. I think this is one of the more, like, distinctly 80s. Like, I, some people, I have seen some people read the show as, like, a bizarro 80s show. Whereas, like, wh- how we think the 80s were. Where this one is, like, okay, we're really going to dive into, like, the Russians are the bad guys. <laughs> like, we're just going to go all the way in on that. And, um... I think it worked. I I think like the season as a whole worked. I really like what they did with splitting everybody up. I think having everyone having to deal with their own problems in Hawkins gave the different character groups like the the Scoop Squad and yeah. the parents and then um L's group, I think giving them all something different to do was a good move. And to be able to bring that together, I think it all worked. And, uh, and uh, while also introducing new characters as well, um, you have Maya Hawk, the daughter of Ethan Hawk and Uma Thurman playing mm-hmm. Robin, you know, alongside of, uh, Steve care or Steve Harrington, uh, his character. Um, you have Erica, who I think is probably, uh, <laughs> probably one of the most liked people of this season who is um, probably like the voice of reason in, in a lot of ways. I'm glad they gave her something to do instead of just being like, I say sassy things. Like, I'm <laughs> yeah. glad that she's like actually a character now. That makes me happy. And then, I mean, again, it's, again, just building upon the old sort of things. Well, you have Hopper, um, you know, that relationship with Joyce. Mm-hmm. Um, you have relationships. I mean, Billy, who had a very minor role of sorts last season is at the forefront of this season. Yeah. I'm glad they made Billy interesting. Cause I really did not like him. <laughs> like his whole character or he was barely one. He was barely a character last year. Uh, and I'm glad they like, if they aren't going to make him a character, like make him something else. I, I I'm fine with I, I appreciate how they use Billy more this season than whatever they did last season. And so, ultimately, making him somewhat of the antagonist uh, by proxy of the season. You know, it starts off he he's going to meet with Mike's mother. Mm-hmm. I was trying to connect the doctor everything. It's Mike's mom. Um, yeah. And he gets like he gets pulled off the road, and then he gets dragged into this like faci- warehouse facility. And then one of the mind flayer things takes over him. He's like in the upside down and like a copy of him comes out. So I didn't, I was start, that did confuse me a little bit to begin with. Cause I was wondering if they like copied him kind of like tethered. I, okay. I was about to say, I didn't remember if you'd seen us or not. <laughs> I, like, I didn't know if it was a tethered or they did like infiltrate him and it was just controlling him. So, mm-hmm. cause, but they did sort of, help iron that out where like he you could uh like particularly in the scene where they capture him in the sauna room where like he a little he's like he's able to break out just a little bit you know and break free and like talk as billy and not as the mind player 
Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a little bit confusing at first as well. I mean, it was definitely interesting things, and it was an interesting way to reintroduce the story, but also we've end the plot with the Russians, you know, opening up the gate to allow the entities to come back in. Why are they doing this? I don't know why, but there's going to be another season, so we'll probably look into all of it even more. Yeah, I... I think that Stranger Things is doing a good job of giving itself reason to keep making seasons. Like, none of this feels um, contrived yet. Which I think is something that by the time we got to this point... I know you love House of Cards, but if we're talking like Netflix originals... By this time in House of Cards and Orange is the New Black, they were starting to lose me. So for yeah. for Stranger Things to keep, still be going this strong after three years, I think is an accomplishment. No, definitely so. And I guess with this young core of actors, like they could go on two or three more seasons, I'd say at least, with content. And the let me just say, while we're th- speaking of the kids, the awkward teenage makeout is one of the funniest things that I, I it's not i'm trying to think how to word this because it's not like like it's supposed to look awkward because they are teenagers and making out as a teenager is awkward <laughs> and i just like that it's, it's just so real i love how real it felt um this world feels very it feels like it actually exists and i and i like that while also like introducing are... all of these fictional elements, yeah. like mind flayers and diseased rats and people eating fertilizer. I can imagine what it's like to live in this world. Yeah. Yeah, is there anything else? Strange? I think that's a good review, uh, Rip Hop. Yeah. Well, I don't know. They didn't show know. it on camera. And did you watch the end credit scene? Yes. They said, not the American. Who's the American? And they didn't show him die. So Is I'm he wondering, a Demogorgon? <laughs> I don't know if... Uh, people were theorizing that maybe they did capture him. Because remember, they ran right in there after uh, they after Joyce and them ran away. Yeah. So I don't know if he found some... Because they showed the other scientists get vaporized. But yeah. But they specifically did not show Hopper... And so I think they left it just open enough to keep people interested because he's a fan favorite. I, I mean, I understand sacrifice is important and sometimes the fan favorites do have to go. Um, but he's a solid base for if I, I'm I'm almost certain that if he's not if he is dead, they'll at least try to bring him back in some capacity, either through like Elle's visions or something like that. I don't think it's his. I don't think this is the it for him in the show. We will see. Also, Eighth. they just kind of, they did like put on their carpet, like 30 people died. It's a small town in Indiana. I feel like it'd be a big deal. True. And, and like, <laughs> they all just melt. That kind of creeped me out too, where I was like, I felt like more stakes with that. Cause like basically intro infiltrates you. You're, you're basically dead. Cause for it to leave your system, you, you deteriorate or at least that's how i interpreted it so i felt bad for all those people that just go to the warehouse and deteriorate like the the other lifeguard girl also the old uh, miss driscoll 
Like all the other people, they just melt. That was kind of creepy. This was a dark season. It was I a think, dark season. Like the others, of course, were as well, but this one definitely had its very dark moments. A lot of body horror this season. And the production was just fantastic. It definitely I, looked the best. The first season, I remember the first time seeing the Demogorgon, and I was like, eh. they, <laughs> can tell it's a little bit low budget at this point. Shall we answer some questions? Yeah. We ask the people, and we answer the people's questions. All right. I'm glad I already had this pulled up first from Jenna at Jenna Z XOXO. What are some new up-and-coming shows to maybe keep an eye out for? Have you been watching anything? I talked about it last year. I've started Euphoria. It's mm-hmm. a crazy show. It's a wild show. Uh, you said it earlier, Orange is the New Black, the new season's coming out in a few weeks. Oh, I mean, it's the final that. season, so I'm about Good. to finish it. I mean, I've went the first five. Sure, it could have ended two seasons ago, and it ended in my heart when uh, Blank passed away. Um but it's a good show. There's a there's a whole bunch of like stand ups. If you like stand ups, a bunch of them are on uh, Netflix currently. I haven't looked at the upcoming lineup for movies and TV shows that are coming there. I um so things I'm watching slash recommendations. I've talked about it on the show before. The Magicians love 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 the Magicians. It is on the first three seasons are on Netflix. If you have Netflix, please watch The Magicians. It is like Harry Potter plus Narnia, but adults. It's great. Also, Black Sails is also really good. I'm going to watch the season finale of season one tonight. It is already fully aired. It is on Showtime. So if you have Showtime, you can watch that. I think it's also on Hulu. It is pirate politics. And it's, it's pretty great. Uh, that's another good one. As far as like movies coming out, uh, Mav, I was talking to Adam about seeing Lion King when we're in Atlanta. I wouldn't mind doing that because it comes out on the 19th, so it'd be that Friday. Yeah. I am not getting there until late that Friday, though. Just heads well, up. I probably wouldn't get till late Friday anyway because I'm assuming he's working. Yeah. Um, but could make that uh, evening showing. Oh, it'll be late. It'll it'll be like a Saturday thing because I'm going to be yeah. there super late. Um, yeah, that'll be that's the one that's coming out. Um, Matt, do you have anything while I check my content calendar, which is a real thing that I have? <laughs> Let's see. I'm going to eventually watch Into the Spider Verse now that it's on Netflix. Yeah, get a chance to see it in theaters. <laughs> um, need to watch Spider Man. I know I'm behind the ball on that one. I was yeah I've I've kept my Netflix lately for me has been stand up comedy I like stand up comedy a lot so if you have that kind of interest um, let's see recently it's been a couple months now Ali Wong I believe came out with a new stand up mm-hmm. um, I just watched a guy I like his name's Joe Coy uh, Catherine Ryan she's more like a Canadian British she just came out with a special she's uh, fun Adam Devine just came out with one too. Uh, from Pitch Perfect. Um, so Ali Wong's um, movie on Netflix, Always Be My Maybe with uh, Randall Park and Keanu Reeves, yes. is a good time. Yes. 
Uh, let's see. She also asked if you've been catching Wimbledon and uh, Coco Goff. Have you have watched, watched Coco? Yes. Uh, I mean, the big story out of it was when she came back to beat Venus, correct? Mm-hmm. So that was the big storyline. And another uh, comeback, as we're recording on uh, yesterday, on Saturday, she came back um, to beat Homegirl from Slovenia. She was... Back match point up against a wall, uh, down five sets to two in the second frame, and she battled her way back to win it and then won it in three. She has the clutch gene at 15, and she's 15 <laughs> years old. Wow, so, I can, I, I myself at 15, it, no, no, does not compare. Let's see. I'm trying to think because a lot of the questions that people had, we answered our opinion, our opinion on Russell Westbrook. We got. You just see that. Um, Miles ooh. Bridges just threw ooh. down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. I'm glad you uh, you alerted me to that because I almost missed it. Good Lord. Um, let's see. Spider-Man. We are going to talk about at a separate date. Let's see. Let's see. Michael wants us to know uh, what we do on the days without no big four sports. Um, I don't watch baseball, so there are a lot of days where there are no sports for me. Uh, So what do I do? I read a book. Sometimes Um, I try to catch up on shows that I keep I lose track of during um, football season, which happens to me a lot. So. I am currently catching up on Big Brother Canada 7, which is amazing. So much better than this season of Big Brother US, which is already trash. And it's been less than two weeks. Um, But Big Brother Canada 7 has been great. Maverick, what do you do when you're not watching sports? More of a gamer. Been playing a bunch of games recently. I I mean, I've been getting back into 2K to supplement my lack of sports. So playing the basketball just digitally. Instead of TV, also things like Assassin's Creed, but also same as well, catching up on shows or you know finding new content to watch that I haven't watched before. So I I, I do what uh, with what I can. Anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? I think I'm good. I think I'm good as well. Uh, I'm not sure who we're gonna have next week. It might just be us again. Did you like it? Did you not? Do you do we desperately need more people on this podcast? Uh, let us know. But until then, if you want to do that, you can do that at our Twitter at NeverMatePod. If you want to find us at our website, that is tinyurl.com slash NeverMatePharsi. Leave us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes. Thank you to David Cutter for the music. And we will see y'all later. Bye.